wonder if we lose a sense of our imagination or dreaming as we get older, because I just feel like I don't have these like big, robust dreams anymore. And I was talking to my husband about it after and he was like, or maybe you're just in the dream. Like maybe when you reflect and you look at these things you have, you're you're in the dream. And I was like, you're right. That's Lauren Frey Bash. And this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Cara Duffy, a business coach and entrepreneur on a mission to help you live your most extraordinary life and make the impact you want by showing you that anything is possible. People who have mastered freedom, ease, and success, who are living their best and most ridiculous lives and who are changing the world are often people you've never heard of until now. One of my most favorite things about being a podcast host is that I get to have conversations with some of the most interesting humans on the planet. Today's guest, Lauren, known across social media as ReLauren, is one of those inspiring, energizing, gives you faith back in humanity humans. I am so impressed with how she's taking on being the change that she wants to see in the world and creating new intersections of all aspects, environmentalism and content creation. She's known as one of the EcoTalk group where she's using TikTok to really talk about what matters to her and about environmentalism and to give us resources and tools. And of course, share, you know, tips and funny things that happen along the way. I'm really excited for you to hear today's conversation about how being the change can be way easier than we think it is and less overwhelming. Um, why it matters that we're able to work together and support each other in, in making a bigger impact together and where we need to learn, you know, unlearn and relearn some things that we just think of as second nature in our lives and society. And there will even be some pro tips about mastering TikTok. Enjoy this episode. Well, welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Awesome. I'm very, very grateful to be here. I'm super excited to have you. And it just worked out that I was already following you on Instagram. And then a previous guest, Mo, was like, you need to talk to Lauren. And I'm like, wait, that Lauren? The one that I'm like obsessively following her dad's (laughs) vegan journey on? Like, yes, I want to talk to her. (laughs) Amazing. Mo is amazing too. Wonderful. How did you and Mo meet? I think online. Um, I think once you get into the sustainability content creating space, it's like pretty small. Everybody knows everybody. So yeah. where is she living now? She's in Portugal. Um, I think she's still in LA. She was and I talked to her last, but maybe she's there on vacation cool. and good for her. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I jumped right into a question. So let's go back a step and just tell everyone listening your name, where you are in the world and what you're up to. Awesome. I'm Lauren Faree Bash. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm actually moving to Santa Monica tomorrow. So it's all coming full circle. Um, I'm a sustainability content creator and video producer, video editor, and environmentalist. Um, I'm newly married. I'm newly a dog mama. I have two amazing sisters. And that's kind of my story. <laughs> it sounds like life is good. Life is good. I know. I, I, I did a, I just turned 30 on Sunday and I did a proper 
reflection of 29 and what do I want to bring into 30? I was two days late. I did it yesterday. However, yesterday was a very powerful day too. It was 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. So it felt fitting. Um, but I was writing it down and I was like, I wonder if we lose a sense of our imagination or dreaming as we get older, because I just feel like I don't have these like big, robust dreams anymore. And I was talking to my husband about it after. And he was like, or maybe you're just in the dream. Like Ooh. maybe when you reflect and you look at these things you have, you're, you're in the dream. And I was like, <laughs> sobbing all morning. I'm like, you're right. These are things I've always dreamed about and I'm in it. Life is very, very good right now. Mm-hmm. I I love that he said that. And it's such a great reminder to check and see if we are in the dream. And I know that I coach people all day long about like getting back to being eight and getting back to like remembering anything is possible because we get we get so like stingy with our dreams. And it it it's sad to me because we really can do anything in this world and we need more people in that space of being in their dream because you know what it's like when you're happy, everything's better. Yes. And you attract more and more of it too, for sure. Yeah. So what came first? Were you an environmentalist first and then went into film and production? Were you in film and production and realized, oh shit, I can use this medium to change the world? Like how did that process happen for you? Definitely the latter. I grew up a theater kid and then I went to film school in undergrad. And so always wanted to be in storytelling in some capacity when I was a kid. Like my dream when I was a kid was to be an actor. Um, And then I dropped out of the theater program like eight days my (laughs) freshman year. After eight days, I was like, this is so not for me. Um, But I was really fortunate that the school I went to had a really robust film school as well. So I transferred over and loved it. So I think I'll be in video for the rest of my life. I think it's a beautiful way that we communicate to each other. Um, But then... My mom is a mega environmentalist and definitely raised us with those mindsets and practices in the home. And then like a lot of folks, it was the presidential election of 2016 when I was like, whoa, I have, I have to use my, my talents and my skills and my passions to protect the things that I care so much about. Cause I didn't realize I did. I mean, in full transparency, I didn't realize how much I cared about them until they were under extreme threat. And so I guess my pivotal moment as an environmentalist was when offshore drilling became a hot topic in LA Mm -hmm. because you see it in like Ventura County and you see it in Orange County, but you don't see it in LA. And the ocean's always been my, I guess my biggest connector within the, within the planet, Mm -hmm. I think growing up by the beach. And so I literally Googled how to, uh, how to stop offshore oil drilling in Los Angeles. And that's why I found the Surfrider Foundation. This Mm -hmm. is like six years ago, I guess. Um, And then just like attracted it and started attending chapter meetings and cleanups and protests and rallies and started taking classes. And so all of that to say, now I get to use my, my experience and my degree and my talents in video production in the intersection of creating content about the climate crisis, which is super Mm -hmm. cool. Well, and there's, you know, I'm, I'm excited in, in March, we always do a lot of stuff for International Women's Day and we're going to be having this amazing panel about, you know, being the change. Powerful Ladies for Change is our theme this year. Um, part of it is like me getting reconnected to what Powerful Ladies was when it started and where it should be going. And knowing that the power of all these incredible women, like, w- we're more powerful together. 100%. 100%. 
So how, 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 when you're thinking about your power and your ability to make these changes, do you go back and forth like I do between feeling so insignificant and then the next day being like, no, I can do it all. Like, how, how do you feel with that? Because the environmental issues are so big and, you know, yeah, you can, we can compost for sure. There's so many actions we can take and we can talk more about ones that you recommend, but it feels like it goes back and forth between being huge and doable. And how do you manage that? And where do you fall in that space? It's a good question. Um, and I'm glad to know that I'm not alone too, because I definitely default to the pendulum swing of I can do this. And, and the basement of that, of I can do it alone, which is like, I don't know, whatever gets into our minds that make us think that we can do anything alone. Like we, are, <laughs> yeah. we are built, we are literally built to function in community. Um, but then also feeling like these problems are way too big. How could we, like, what could we even do? Not even I individually, but like, what can we even do about it? Um, and it's interesting, I guess I'm coming off of like this buzzing vibration of this 30 journaling. Cause the quote that I'm like grappling with for 30 is I used to be clever and I wanted to change the world and now I am wise and I want to change myself by Rumi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this kind of goes to what you're saying too. Like how, how do you, we want to fix the world. We want to change the world. We want to make an impact and do all of this. And there's almost an element of like a juvenile, like young, clever mindset to that. Mm-hmm. And with the wisdom, it's like, what can I do to, can, what can I do to change myself and to take care of myself and to educate myself and become aware and the power of leading by example, instead of like it all being this external thing where we're trying to like fix others and change others and change systems when it can really come from within. And I say grappling, cause I'm like, I would love to believe that. Like I would <laughs> love to operate out of that mindset. Maybe I'm still young and like juvenile. Um, yes. So I think to answer your question, yes, I definitely swing between the two. I think a big one that comes in quite a bit when you're creating anything on the internet, and maybe you feel like this too with your podcast is imposter syndrome kicks in so hard. I'm like, Mm -hmm. who are you to think Lauren, who are you to think that you can call out these big banks? Who are you to think that you can rally a group of people to restore their relationship with nature? Like who, who do you think you are? You're like a kid from Southern California. Like what, what experience do you have? Like what background or testimony do you have? Um, and then I think if everybody thought like that, nothing would change. You know, we would just have a bunch of people who were operating out of fear. So mm-hmm. imposter syndrome kicks in. And then I definitely get this from my mom. My mom's a single mom, raised us three girls. And so we're just like a very, a very woman, feminine filled home at mom's house, which is like my eco sanctuary. I love visiting her house, but she defaults to the little red hen. Like I can do it and I can do it alone. And then do you know the nursery, the nursery? No. Rhyme? Oh, it's the best. I'll send it to you. It's um, this like a nursery, a nursery rhyme, a, a children's book. It's a little red hen who's like setting up for a party or something. And like the pig asks, can I help? And she's like, no, I got it. And then the dog asks, what can I do? She's like, no, 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 I got it. And she's like clucking around and hurrying around trying to set up for this party or this event. And then at the end gets mad that nobody helped her. And like things didn't, that things didn't happen and things fell through. And they're like, we offered to help. But she's the little red hen who's like, 
maybe a bit of pride or ego kicks in there for wanting to do it for other people, but doesn't seek support. And I think I take after my mom like that too. Like, I got it. I got it. It's cool. I got it. I want to do it. Um, and then crumble or burn out because I don't ask for help. <laughs> well, and, the, and even beyond ego, like there's a trigger word that so many people have is the word burden. We don't yes. want to be a burden on other people. And it's like, where did that come from in our yes. you know, background? Because often asking people for help is like, people love helping other people. Like it's a gift to ask yes. people to help. It can be really hard, especially if we fall into controlling tendencies. Yes. Um, but it's it's really a, an amazing opportunity to be like, who can help? Because you said before, we can't do anything by ourselves. Nothing. That's like the biggest lie right? <laughs> we have as right. humans. Um, but you, you were telling that story. And at first I thought you said the little redhead. And I was like, ooh, a book about me. And then it was a, a red hen. <laughs> but there are so many kids books that c- pass through my life. And I still love kids books. I could easily own just a kids bookstore and be happy. Yeah. Um, but there were two that stuck with me. One was the Berenstain Bears in the Messy Room. Yes. And the other Love the Berenstain Bears. Yes. So good. And the other was The Day the House Ran Away. Oh, I don't and know that one. I think we need a new one and maybe I'll plant the seed for you to create it because we could have like The Day the Planet Runs Away. It would be the same concept because yeah. like it's a little boy who apparently lives by himself at age like seven, <laughs> as you do. Yes. And he wakes up one morning and all that's left, even the house is gone. He's like on the concrete slab with his pillow because it's the only thing he took care of like he hugged it at night but everything else was mad that he like didn't take care of it didn't wash it didn't clean it and so it all just left one day and you were like oh shit i gotta take care of things like (laughs) yes and so these it's amazing how these stories when we're kids plant seeds and and shift all of this like yes it's it's so powerful so yes having the red hen in your background how has it changed how you invite people in this is good. Wow. I feel like the timing of this podcast could not be better because I just had a lot of these really rich conversations over the weekend. Um, and I haven't fully practiced this yet, but I guess a, um, a thought I will revisit when I ask for help and when I don't ask for help is what matters more? Asking someone for help and actually receiving the support or having mm-hmm. control. Yeah. And I learned this a lot. We we threw a wedding, our wedding in September and we like did it all on our own and stayed up until the wee hours of the night, every night, like making, making graphs and charts and Excel spreadsheets <laughs> and researching and like grifting everything and, and, and coordinating everything. And I learned this a lot because I burned out a hundred percent to the core, mm-hmm. like trying to do way too much, not taking care of myself. And everybody was offering to help. Like, let me help. Let me do this. Let me do this. And I was so obsessed over having control over it. It was like, because I wanted it to look a certain way and I wanted it to be a certain price. And I wanted it to, uh, I wanted to make sure it was going to be done, you know? And so I wouldn't release control. And the dozens of people offering to help. And what mattered to me more was the control than actually seeking the support, mm-hmm. which led to burnout. So sometimes I think it's okay. It's okay to know, like, I... I have a lot of things I want to get done, but maybe the control element of it matters a lot to you. If you're like, it really matters to me how it looks. And as a video, as a content creator too, that's why I don't outsource my editing. I know a lot of creators will just shoot everything and then hire an editor. And I'm like, I'm too, maybe it's a bad thing or maybe it's just like a, 
how I function, but I really, it really means a lot to me that I have my fingerprints on it and I'm an editor and I get it and I want it to look and feel a certain way. And that's okay. Maybe I can ask for help in other areas so I can touch the editing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess that'll be the litmus test for the inner question to ask myself. What matters more? Asking for help and taking this off your plate and allowing it to look however they do it and loving it, you know, and being grateful and acknowledge them for the support or to like rein in the control, you know. And I would even challenge you that there might be a middle ground of how do you get to be the creative director yeah, and get it everything you want and not do it. Like that's, that I think trips people out when you're like, wait, it can be exactly what I want and I didn't touch it. And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, that's every, every business owner I talk to, that's always the space because we want more freedom and ease. We, we've got lots of things we got to do, right? Like yes, you and I do a lot more things than our businesses. <laughs> So yes. Yes. How, how do we get to do it all at once? And it's by having a magical team of elves that secretly are doing things. And, you know, it's, it moves into the, are we in our zone of genius or not? Like, do yes. we love these things? Like even the podcast editing, like I have a podcast producer who's my sister, who's a badass, and that's her full-time job um, for many podcasts, but I still listen to every one yes. and, and put my notes in. And I've learned how to do it faster and more efficiently, and I can do it quicker now. But I still like to do it because of what you said. Like, I want to be able to hear it and make sure that it's passing my litmus test before it goes out into the world. Yes. Because I'm, I most likely will not listen to it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm sure you know too, like when you're shooting something, you like black out and you're like, wait, all this happened? When did yes. this happen? <laughs> yes especially in your format. Like these are long format pieces. It's not like, oh, rewatch, rewatch 45 seconds. You're like, no, I'm listening to 45 minutes. Yeah. It adds up, especially when you're going back and forth and pulling clips because yeah. 45 minutes becomes an hour and a half real quick. And yep. when we started, they were two hours, some of them. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if we're doing two hours. We're just going to do it live because who has time for that? Like, right, right. Who has time? Right. And I don't really know if the listener... Listeners, you tell me if you disagree, but like, I don't know if there's a, there's so many live ones that are raw. There's so many that are edited and I don't think it matters so much in regards to like appreciating it. If the, yeah, if you do your homework in advance. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't think a listener only listens to edited ones or only listens to raw ones for yeah. sure. Yeah. So you work with some incredible brands. What are some of your favorites? And for people who are thinking about working with you, like who are you attracting? Um, I think of who, okay. My all-time favorite brand. I think the best brands I work with are not even brands. The best organizations I work with are ones that I have been like a lifelong fan of before I started working with them. And I have like pinch me moments that I get to work with them. I'm like, what? And now, and now we get to work together, create content together. Like I've been using your services or your products or whatever for years now. So the one who I'm the biggest fan of is Imperfect Foods. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with them? Yeah. Yes. They're first and foremost a food waste prevention service. Um, and they deliver ugly, imperfect groceries to your door. So at the beginning, they were just imperfect produce and they were only doing produce. And now they have like pantry items and snacks and like beverages and everything. Um, and I think I think food is definitely one of like the biggest 
spaces I play in within the climate space. Um, my mom is like a master gardener in her backyard in this eco palace. I'm talking about her backyard <laughs> is like a mini urban farm. It's pretty rad, especially like I shot a drone footage one time of her backyard and you just see all of our neighbors have like pools and lawns, which is kind of creepy, right? To like creep on your neighbors. You just see my mom who has like a banana tree and a papaya tree (laughs) and mango tree and like apples and all these greens and nasturtiums. And and I think she's always connected us to food as not necessarily and, and food to cook, but also food and how it's grown and where it comes from and not treating it as waste. You would never have food waste. Um, mm-hmm. So all of that to say, imperfect foods and their fight against the climate crisis by way of eliminating food waste is rad. Mm-hmm. I love them. And they just got their B Corp certification, which is very- to them. Yes, I know how to talk to them. It's just very difficult. And it's a strenuous certification process and have to requalify your rear. And I think my favorite brands I work with typically fall within the B Corp umbrella mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they're paying their people well. They have a transparent supply chain. A lot of them are made domestically here in the U.S. Um, or whatever, whatever they're creating. And so I tend to lean towards B Corps. I just yeah. really like working with them. I feel like we share values. And I think the biggest um, pendulum swing or internal dilemma of being a sustainability content creator is like, we can't shop our way out of climate change. And unfortunately, we as individuals, especially we as Americans, are conditioned to think we can purchase something as a way to solve a problem Mm -hmm. or we can buy something. And it used to trigger me quite a bit when people would be like, where'd you get your top? Or where'd you get your toothbrush? Or where'd you get your glasses? When I'd be talking about like the IPCC report, you know, or I'd be (laughs) like talking about um, like wish cycling. And people be like, oh my gosh, where's your top from? And I'd be like, ah, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But also like, who am I to criticize that? This is the system we live in is that people, mm-hmm. we want to, we want to buy it's what we want to do. And it sucks. Cause I'm like, how do you make calling Congress or how do you make like joining an environmental NGO as sexy as like a canvas tote bag, you know, or like as sexy as using a glass straw, you know, um, anyways, kind of, which make me nervous glass. I'm like the glass straw. Like uh, when I first started using one, I was so nervous that I was going to crack it in my mouth. Like that was my biggest fear. Like I'm a little bit more comfortable, like a stainless steel straw that I've gotten. I've like moved on. I can now use it without fear. But the first couple of times I was like, Oh God, I'm going to die by shards of glass from the straw. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I just shouted out, we're moving. And we put out like a little table in our front driveway of just like stuff we're taking out and are just like telling our neighbors and our community and our friends, like, come and get it, like a free garage sale, I guess. It's not much, like a few things. Um, but I put a wine glass out there and it shattered all over the driveway. Oh. And I was like, no, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> when, you know, I, a client of mine connected me to Chelsea Green Publishing. Um, they do all um, kind of sustainable agriculture publisher, plus they're also a sustainable publisher themselves. So yeah. all their topics are really interesting. I'm so happy she connected me to them. And I found uh, the book she recommended to me was Good Morning, Beautiful Business. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah, I would highly recommend reading. I think you'll love it. It's by Judy Wicks, who actually is going to be a future podcast guest. I'm super excited. Um, But she was the owner of the White Dog Cafe in Philadelphia. And she was part of the founding like local movement and free trade movement or fair trade movement and working with coffee in South America, like all these things. And for this woman that no one's heard of and the impact she's made in what you can do in a local community and choosing to align your values with your business and still be profitable. Yeah. It was just such a great read. And that then led me to like, um, the future is local. Like it's called the economics of happiness. And I've, you know, I've lived abroad. I've worked for huge international corporations at times. I've worked for small startups, everything in between. And I was proud of being like a global citizen. Yeah. Traveled the world and saw places and, like, I, I like this global connectiveness. And I didn't realize until reading this most recent book how much the globalization is hurting so many people. It just didn't process for me because I was in that same mindset, like you said, of people just being in a consumer-based structure of gl- how does globalism hurt everyone? And there's even studies about when a Walmart moves into a town, they might say, oh, it'll be 150 jobs, new jobs because of Walmart. But that town loses anywhere between 500 and 1,000 jobs. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, I, I really want, my wish would be, even before people maybe take an action, just to start thinking about the economy of it all and ecology of it all. Yeah. Because we're, we're thinking so narrow-minded most of the yes. time. Um, yeah. So that brings me back to with the consumerism part, like how, what are practices that you're doing every day to break out of those cycles and systems and be mindful about how you're spending your money and your time and all the things that we have to touch every day? <laughs> that's good. I think, I think something that's like triggered me lately is I, don't, I think it aired in 2020. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a, a PSA done by the Lincoln Project. Um, but it was a scripted, it's 60 second PSA and, or I don't think it was fully for the Biden administration campaign, but it was definitely against oil, like uh, not a PSA, but an ad against oil. And it's this really clever scripted narrative, 60 second piece of all the big oil execs. Mm-hmm. And they're just in these like big bougie mansions and they're wearing robes and smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. And they're like, um, we at big oil know that the earth is on fire, but you should probably do something about it. And they're like shredding papers. And they're like, back in the eighties, we had dozens of scientists run tests to find out if it was actually creating global warming, but we paid a lot of money to cover it up. And they're like shredding the paper. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, he's eating this big old Turkey in this big dining room. And he is like, we at big oil, we, we will be fine, but you should probably start a compost pile. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And again, it's this pendulum swing of like, does my one life, does my one lifestyle of eating local, eating plant-based, composting, like being connected to nature, can this reduce global emissions? Like, no, you're talking about one, one person. No. Um, and there are big, big, big companies who are responsible for a mass majority of emissions who need to be held accountable. Like that, if we're Mm -hmm. actually going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it's not 
it's not like a group of people composting. It's like big, big, big oil, like oil and gas, not even big polluters, oil and gas companies being regulated. And we have to switch to clean energy. Like we know this. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the future is local. I love that. And Gina McCarthy, she's the new like head of environmental um, advisor, the environmental advisor for the White House. Mm-hmm. And she was on a podcast and I, she's so funny. She's like so New England, has like the best accent ever. And she's like, we need more people plugging into the community. Like we don't, because that's when it feels overbearing when you're like, mm-hmm. how the heck are we going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as a country? But if you're like, okay, my city is like 120,000 people. That's like two UC Berkeley's. So we have like two <laughs> college campuses. Okay. How can I rally this community to just be aware of what eliminating food waste in our landfill events? How, how could we... What could we do with this food waste? And granted, in California, we're pretty stoked because now it's a lot. But you're like, but that's how it passed. It's mm-hmm. like local communities coming together and saying, we can no longer put organic waste in landfills. Mm-hmm. We have to regenerate it into soil. And boom, and you're like, wow, this is how it happens. And then we know that like California, New York set the precedent for the rest of the country too. And that's how it happens. It starts on the coast and comes in. Um, but that's how it. that's how this happens. It's like small, local to maybe statewide to then see federal change. So I love that. I love, I guess I'm not really answering your question, but what are, what are things to do? Well, you said that you're, you eat plant-based, you compost. Yes. What else are you doing on a daily basis that can inspire others? I think the big one is plugging into environmental NGOs. So while mm-hmm. like chapter meetings are a little different now because they're on Zoom and it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it looks like some are starting to pick up in person now, which I'm very excited. As like a bona fide extrovert, I'm like, yes, <laughs> in person chapter meetings. Um, the two I'm the biggest members of, I guess, are the Climate Reality Project and the Surf Rider Foundation. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you get daily or weekly newsletters, like what's going on? Are there petitions you can sign? Are there like, what can we call Congress about right now? Right now, the citizen climate lobby is doing a big push on asking for a price on carbon. And so it's all like very, very structured. We, we forget that there are people who are already doing this work, you know, who are like professionally doing this work. So then I'm like, well, what can I do as a content creator to pull the work that these amazing organizations are doing and be a mouthpiece to my community and say, hey, you want to take action? Check out this petition. You want to call your Congress? Here are a few things you can mention. You want to come attend a cleanup? Like here is our next one in Venice Beach. So it's just identifying what do we bring to the table to amplify the work that these amazing environmental organizations are doing, you know? Well, and this is where that fear we get as business owners and people making anything is like, well, someone's already doing it. Why should I? Well, great. We can now use that to our advantage in this space because someone's already doing it. Let's just work together. Like, yes. Yes. We don't need to start from zero in any of these areas at all. At all. Yes. And I always ask myself, or I remind myself, if it was working with this many people doing it, the solutions would have already been implemented. But it's not working yet. So like clearly what we've done in the past isn't working. So we have to get bigger. We have like our our groups and our organizations need to get bigger and louder Mm -hmm. and stronger and obviously more diverse. That's why you see all these epic youth organizations as well. Because they're like, hello, you've known since the 60s that this is going on and you haven't done shit about it. So let us take the reins because this is our, this is our future that we're inheriting. Um, and the amazing work too. While I'm not super plugged in, I admire and applaud the work of the sunrise movement. 
Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. donating and, and supporting the work that they're doing. Um, they're brilliant. They're all brilliant. And Fridays for Future and all the youth climate movements are brilliant. Well, and there's, it reminds me that going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's not, it's not so hard. You know, like the, everything you listed, calling someone can take less than five minutes. Yep. Attending, get reading a newsletter can take less than five minutes. Signing up for their email, also less than five minutes. And you said something that I want people to hear again, which is you said, I'm going to paraphrase it, but like we can't buy our way out of the problem. I'm currently teaching a financial fitness for entrepreneurs class. And I literally a slide that I will be showing tomorrow says you cannot earn your way out of bad habits. And we keep thinking like, oh, we'll just do more and it will be okay. And it's like, no, we have to have a timeout and like really reset the priorities and like look at it. And I think like so many people since the election in 2016, everyone is so mad that we now have to double check everything. Like before we could be like, oh, you're the FDA. You're doing the work for me. So I don't have to. And it's like, um, actually... They might be doing some of it, but here's a whole list of things that are slipping through the cracks and this is not okay. Yes. And so that I think also adds to a layer of exhaustion. So finding other groups that are all are doing some of that work. And there's so many amazing people on TikTok or Instagram, right? Who are constantly being like, this is in your Kellogg's. Did you know? Yes. Yes. It's crazy. And that goes back. it It all comes full circle. It always does. Like nothing exists individually, everything is intrinsically connected, you know? So even going back to the future is local. You're like, what is in the grocery store? Where did this come from? What has it been treated with? Like what? Or it's like, you could ask all those questions and go to a grocery store. And granted going into a grocery store, we're, we're constantly learning now too, is an extreme privilege. Like, whoa, how many, how many points of distribution of fresh produce exists within a five mile radius here? And you go an hour inland or an hour North. And you're like, it's not, it does not exist in any, everywhere. Yeah. And that's royally effed up. Yeah. I mean, d- did I hear correctly from, are you in Costa Mesa right now moving back to? Yes. Okay, Costa Mesa. So, yes. That's where I live normally. I'm awesome. recording this for everyone who didn't hear the, the beginning part in Laguna Beach today. But so I live so close to 17th street that I can ride my bike or walk to like 10 different grocery stores, which yes. is insane. It's yes. insane. And like, I think about moving somewhere else and I'm like, oh, but if I go somewhere else, I can't ride my bike to like get groceries and any meal I want. And it, like, literally it is the most convenient city I have ever lived in. <laughs> yeah. That makes it hard to be like, I should live somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> but it, it is insane in that way, right? Like my yeah. parents recently moved to outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and they still have, like, they still feel privileged because they have like seven grocery stores in a 30 minute drive. Yeah. But it's, you can start seeing it get farther and farther away. And like, what level are they? Like the closest one to their house isn't so awesome. Yeah. Like it just feels creepy, let alone like, you know, is filled with like things that shouldn't go into your body. Yeah. Um, But nothing makes me lose my mind more than seeing a cantaloupe wrapped in plastic. Yes. How do we but the, that? The, <laughs> the access, the access element to a fresh veg, fresh fruits and veg, there's amazing work of a bunch of, again, like grassroots organizations um, that show 
or that are bringing awareness about the food apartheid. And you're like, oh no, you're not just talking like rural California, mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. out in the high desert to say that. You're talking like South Central. Yeah. Where there is not, there is not a, a grocery store that sells fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables within a mile radius of people's homes. And you're like, how? When 10 miles west, there's like Erwan and Whole mm-hmm. Foods and Rainbow Acres and all of these places that are extremely wealthy, dense areas where mm-hmm. like bountiful amounts of fresh fruits and veg exist. But you go 10 miles inland, not even inland, you go 10 miles in, in South LA and you're like, wait, what? Like wh- there's mm-hmm. corner stores and liquor stores and gun shops. And, pot- and you're like, this is, this is as clear as day systemic racism. How could yeah. anyone disagree? And it trickled, it, it's, it, it's in everything, not yeah. just in the, not just in the police department, in the food system, in, mm-hmm. in, in everything. And you're like in the education Thank system. You. And you, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And you're like, oh, and that's why the work of the intersectional environmentalist group is so wonderful too, because we're not just talking about ecological impacts of climate change and loss of biodiversity and loss of wildlife and mass extinctions. You're talking about like people. Anyways, I'm I'm also doing quite a bit of learning and unlearning about that too. Like growing up in a predominantly white community and going to a very white institution for school and even living in LA, like living on the West side of LA, um, constantly learning and unlearning about Mm -hmm. the, the environmental justice or injustice effects of climate change. Yeah. I I was doing 75 hard. Um, I started in early December and I had to, I was driving to North Carolina because I had to drive things home. Wow. And, right. It, it was, it was fun. Um, and it was a, it was a good getaway. I needed the break. Um, but I had to, I had to go from committing to being plant-based to being vegetarian on that trip because I literally, even if I, like I brought as much food as I could and I was like making sandwiches on the roof of my car in the snow, but like I couldn't guarantee that I could find something that didn't have some sort of dairy butter in it. And I was like, I have to keep this commitment to the 75. So like, I have to like level down to do it. And it was frustrating and I think I had to end up eating like 500 like veggie subway sandwiches because that was all the only option and I was like I'm gonna like I'm gonna lose my mind if I eat yeah. more of these. the smell of that bread is oh. like <laughs> the worst. yes uh, and so it was it's just that like just looking at what can you eat on the highway yeah what can you eat in the highway that doesn't have meat in it what can you eat that's actually fresh yeah it's uh, it's it's um I find it really interesting when people are when we talk about these topics often people have aha moments and sometimes it's first preceded with with anger or irritation to being totally. triggered about it yes but then it's like when there's this shift that can happen if you allow yourself to have the conversation and really look at it with someone of why are we tolerating this for ourselves, let alone our family, our community, the planet. Yes. Like, since when is it okay that I don't get to have access to those things? Yes. Um, so I, th- I think it's also really interesting, the personal journey that being dedicated to change, like, represents. Like, as you said, your quote for this year, right? Like, looking at yourself. Um, what What do you think was 
surprising to you since you've taken on being an environmentalist in a bigger way about a habit that you were resistant to give up? Well, I think going back to what you just said too, like we initially react with a lot of anger, you know, when, when you're exposed to this stuff, I think a lot of us, a lot of white folks learned this in 2020. You're like, wait, what? And it's like, hello, this has been going on for hundreds of years. Like you're just now listening, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing a meme. It was like a girl, like a cartoon, almost like a comic a girl holding her best friend's hair as she was like throwing up. It's like when your friend is or like holding your hair, when your friend is having her enlightening awake or her awakening. And then like, but you holding your own hair like earlier or something like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, we're all on our own different path. Um, my friend sent me that. Cause of course you're angry. You're like, wait, what? Like mm-hmm. how much money, how much money are big banks funding in fossil fuels? And like, wait, that's my money that's sitting in the savings account. Like that's where my money is going. Hell no. Or like, what, what are they treating our crops with? Like, Mm -hmm. wait, how many layers of topsoil do we have left? How many years of topsoil do we have left until it's diminished permanently? Like, wait, what? And and we're not talking about this. Mm -hmm. You get really angry. Um, But I think too, as a, as a white privileged person in America, the guilt kicks in so hard and it's just like overwhelming. And I think what keeps me up at night, I think every environmentalist, every humanitarian, every, every person probably has the things that keep you up at night. And there's this film called the human flow and it's about refugees. And there is a a big chunk of it talking about climate refugees and, Mm -hmm. and parts of the world will be deemed uninhabitable because there's no access to water, you know, and, or they can't grow food. And our requ- mm-hmm. these people living here can't grow food or sea levels will rise and there's the land is gone um, or flooding, sea levels rise and there's flooding and the salinization of the, of the land doesn't allow them to grow anything. Mm-hmm. And that's when the guilt kicks in because there is an element of responsibility. And maybe this is why I'm so drawn to that quote of Rumi because I'm like, is it enough to work on yourself when there's an element of being a member of a wealthy country a, a citizen of a wealthy country who is doing the most damage. Yeah. And when you look at emissions per capita, you're like, the US is the, it is the worst. Everyone points the finger at yeah. China and India, but you're talking about billions of people collectively across those two countries. Right. The US, we have like a, th- a third of a billion people here and we are doing the most damage. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there is an element of responsibility. Maldives will be underwater. Right. Bangladesh will be underwater. Sub-Saharan Africa will not have, and you're like, those are, those are human lives. So an Mm -hmm. element too of the globalization, you're like, and I have a responsibility as a citizen of a country that is doing the damage causing that. I do have an element of responsibility to to change this, you know? Well, and and that's also what makes me so mad about California because it's the fifth largest economy in the world by itself. And we have people who are leading spaces of all the different levels of activism that we need. And we are not doing enough. Like we are not taking and doing something with it. There's a horrible Instagram account called like Street People of Los Angeles. Yeah, And I like, I, I go back and forth about like, should I follow this account or should I not? Because sometimes I don't know where it falls in like a part of the problem or a part of the solution, but there are eye-opening things that are being shared on there that are horrifying. And I'm just, I'm so mad that like we have the money, we have the knowledge, we have people making change 
And if we can't fix it here, how are we ever supposed to convince anyone else it's possible? Like, yeah, we are we have as much power as Germany as a country, and they are light years ahead of us in getting their shit together. <laughs> like, yeah, what? Yeah, I, I, I'm like, whose door do I have to knock on? Because I'm going to just start walking up and down the street. Yeah, and I'm like, who's not making choices? <laughs> like, right, right. It, it's 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 baffling to me, but. It brings me hope getting to talk to people like you and Mo and um, even, you know, thinking about like Chandra Gore, who was a guest we had, who's based in Virginia, who's literally going door to door to register people to vote. Like, yeah, there are so many amazing people taking action and doing things. And I just the more that we can all be connected to each other, I will feel better about our future. (laughs) A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And going back to your, like one of your first points in our conversation was we are so much stronger together than separate. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Which is a perfect segue into what does powerful ladies mean to you? Like, do those words mean something different to you on their own versus when they're combined? I think being raised by a single mom with two sisters and just being like a full chica house uh, powerful ladies are for sure my mom and my sisters. Like when I think of powerful ladies, I think of them in our home. We spent we spent all day Monday, to, yeah, all day Monday together at the spa, and just like I brought my journal and my book as if I was gonna like write and read, and we were just like cluck it, like we are like little chickens, <laughs> you know, just like hens, um, and like chat and chit chatting in the jacuzzi and chit chatting in the in the locker room, and it was so special. Um, and they're all so powerful in their own ways. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful being raised by just a, a rock star of a woman. She's my role model in every way, shape, and form. Like I remember at, um, one of the holidays last year, we were sitting at the table and I was brought to tears looking at her thinking, none of us will live up to be the woman you are. She's definitely planted a seed in each of us. Like my younger sister is really into gardening. My older sister is really into cooking. I'm obviously very into the like climate and sustainability space, um, which she has dropped those seeds. But I'm like, but all of us, like, yeah. but you have it all. We just have like a, a seed of it. <laughs> We're never going to live up to be the woman you are. Like, what are we ever going to do without you? Um, we all are like equally obsessed with her and it's, the best. So when I, I guess, yeah, I know when I think of powerful ladies, especially powerful lady, I immediately think of my mom. We ask everybody on the podcast where they put themselves in the powerful lady scale. So if zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady possible, where would you put yourself on that scale today? And on average? Oh, see, imposter syndrome kicks in so hard, right? <laughs> um, okay, a quick story. I promise it'll be quick. I was in a broadcast journalism class in school, and there was a segment done on this reporter just opened the, the yellow pages back when those existed, or the white pages, the, the white pages, and flipped and like found a person called them, said, I'm, I'm a local news reporter. Can we come do a story on you? And she was like, why would you want to do a story on me? I'm just an average person, mm-hmm. right? And this reporter comes in and this, she, this woman was a foster mom, a single woman who was a foster mom and had fostered several children and had adopted several of them. Oh, and it was just this beautiful, welcoming home full of children and love and just so much. Of, but she even told the reporter, like, why would you want to do a story on me? There's nothing special about me. And they're like, oh my gosh, the, the average, like, sometimes we think we're so average and don't even identify the power in ourselves. 
you know? Um, That's so why I, I do this podcast. Yes. <laughs> so good. I, I'm amazed how many women say I'm not powerful. And I'm like, no, but I'm calling you. So like, I've already decided yeah. you are. So just like say, thank you. And when can I schedule? <laughs> like, yes. Yes. We all are, right? We all are. We yes. just forget it. We're constantly looking left and right. But that person's more powerful. And that person's more yeah. powerful. And I'm not powerful because that person is. And it never stops. You know, oh. I remember like first going freelance, looking at my other friends who were DPs and amazing cinematographers or, or traveling the world and creating these amazing mm-hmm. documentaries. And I was like, I'll never be like that. I'll, I'll never, I'll never have that. I'll never work on those projects. I'll never be like that. And I'm like, I don't think it ever stops. I think no. you're always looking at other people, maybe with that wisdom, maybe with the wisdom yeah. of the roomy of the roomy mindset, I'll be more secure and confident myself. Well, and I think it, it the, the, the watching other people shifts from like, there's a breakthrough moment when you go, that's not for me versus, oh, I can have that. And then, oh, I can do better. Yes. And I think that's kind of when I look at like the breakthroughs I want people to have, I first want people to know you can have it. Yes. And then it's like, how do we get you there? It's simpler than you think. And then it's like, how do we even go beyond that? Because yes. I think we need, there is no business plan that doesn't include perspective and comparison, right? Like I'll even change it from who are your competitors to who are your parallel brands. That's good. Because it just that shift will move it. But if we're not paying attention to what other people are doing, we can either fall into a tirade of like ego mountain or we'll lose our own perspective to like be like, why isn't this working? Be like, well, because you're not offering what people want yeah. anymore. So I do think it, I think it's just changing the, what power we're giving who yeah. we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough though, especially when you look at consumer-driven capitalistic structures, it's all about competition. It's Mm -hmm. always about competition. And I've worked for a couple CPGs now in-house. Like I worked for one for way too long and the little voice was like, leave. And I did. Um, But then even like kind of part-time consulting, freelancing Mm -hmm. and CPG, consumer packaged goods at the end of the day are driven by volume. Yeah. And it's always, what is the competitor doing? And it's so icky because you're like, aren't we on the same team? Like, especially if it's a for good business, yeah. right? You're like, we're on the same team. And especially as a content creator, you can look left or right and see these people are creating amazing short films or or their engagement is, is so insane. And people are really loving and appreciating what they're doing. And I'm like, but we're on the same team. Like, I think yeah. that's the thing about being an environmentalist is you're like, it is all part of the same movement. And clearly, like I said, there are not enough people on this team. Otherwise we would see changes. It's like, everybody is welcome. I think something I, I was reading what I was calling into 29 because I read my letter from last year before I write my one for the next year. I love so that 20... habit. So how long have you been do, writing yourself a letter on your birthday or the eve of? I think only four years, 27, 28, 29, 30. Yeah, so it started when I was 27. Um, I'll do it every year until the day I die. I think I would make a birthday book though because now I'm like, yeah. these are like eight journals that are like all over the house, but I think I'm going to rip them off and put them in a book. Um, and I'm always sobbing. I put on a playlist that just like immediately triggers tears. You know, <laughs> I'm a crier. Um, but I remember writing for 29. I wanted to operate out of the abundance mindset um, or abundance mentality. Just like when someone else succeeds, there's, there is no scarcity or no lack for me to succeed also. 
Yeah. Um, the universe is infinitely big. And when someone else, when someone else succeeds, it's not like a cup that runs out, you know, it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. So it gets dangerous when you start talking about like wealth and consumption and stuff too. Cause like, ah, it's built on like an extractive system and like the earth isn't infinitely, it doesn't infinitely produce, you know, earth overshoot day is what in August every year, like when we've extracted more than the earth could replenish in a given year. Um, But I think more like the, the, mentality of like success in general when someone is doing yeah. well when someone is well when it's someone an energy is, yes and energy doesn't go anywhere yeah our tangible things do <laughs> yes exactly exactly energy is infinite it's always cycling right mm-hmm. and yeah like things things break our phones break and and then they have a life they have a life cycle right well, I will be yelled at by every listener if I let you squirrel out of putting yourself on the scale. So where <laughs> would you rank yourself? I'm going to feel confident and say like when I'm operating and I'm like confident and I'm this wise, this wise woman, powerful woman, I'm a 10 for mm-hmm. sure. Imposter syndrome is saying, don't say that. And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're fighting that. Um, but I'm bad days too. Don't get me wrong. I'm like full of comparison or envy or ego. Um, or just like, yeah, bad days too, but that doesn't make me less powerful. It just means I had a bad day. Yeah. I mean, some days it's by the hour. It shifts. It's like, I, I, there was a guest one time that goes like, I'm all the numbers. (laughs) Okay. I like that. I I think I'm still (laughs) like that. I think I, I think I fluctuate all day. Actually, today in my art, do you do morning pages or have you heard of morning pages? I've from? heard of it. I, it's like the one habit that my, I don't know why I keep resisting, but yeah. yeah check it out when you can. It's called The Artist's Way by, written by Julia Cameron. And my husband and I do it every morning. And this morning I like wrote a little, roll, drew a little roller coaster in my thing. I was like, I feel like in the 18 minutes it takes me to freehand write three pages of journal. I like start super optimistic. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm sitting down. I'm journaling. This is good. And then I go down, I get distracted and I'm hard on myself. Like you're already distracted. Like come back, Lauren. And I'm like, you're fine. You're fine. Don't be hard on yourself. And I come back up and I'm like, oh yeah, we're good. We got an idea. We got a breakthrough. Like write it out. And then I'm like, oh, I don't want to finish the third page, but I know I have to. And I'm like super hard on myself. So I'll take that. I'll be like, I'll start the day at a 10, drop quickly to a zero, go, go to like a three, then a zero, then an eight and a four. I'll, I'll do it all. <laughs> I love it. Um, so one of the things I think is so interesting about you is that you are taking this platform called TikTok yes. that everyone has an opinion on and you are like, oh no, we are going to make it for good. Yes. Not for bad, for good. And I just hosted a TikTok masterclass with um, Alex Michelson from like the TikTok agency in LA it was like drinking from a fire hose, how much information he gave us about like optimizing TikTok and what to do and like all the stuff. So first I would love to hear from you, like how you recommend people break into TikTok. And because it, it occurs to me knowing like, it occurs to me that I need to stop doing a lot of things to find time to make TikToks. And I'm sure... Alex says it'll be worth it in the end, but I'm like, okay, cool. In the meantime, how do I, how do I optimize this? So I don't lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a ton of friends now who want to get into this space and maybe this comes with age too, but I'm like, if you're not super clear on your why, like why do you want to get into this? It is, it is not, it is not easy nor fun nor like yeah. <laughs> super user-friendly to get into you. What is this? It's like, why is it so loud? It's like, as soon as you open it, it is like loud in your face. I remember being like, whoa, how do you pause? Like it is intense. Um, but if you're super clear on your why, so if it's about optimizing your business or building your community or extending the bell curve of reach of what you're already creating, um, just being super clear on your why. And then it's easy to create your strategy from there. You know, but I feel like when some people are like, I just want to make TikTok videos. And it's like, well, there's a lot, there's so many different kinds. Yeah. Like, are you limited? Yes. Do you want to go viral? Like, is that the goal? Because there's ways that you can go viral, but then it's like, but what are you doing? Like you can have Mm -hmm. very high video views, but like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to offer something or try to teach people something. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about TikTok is like the niche communities are so specific and so wonderful. Like mm-hmm. I'm in the learn on TikTok community. So we're like the educators, educator creators. And I swear when I go into, we have like office hours and community webinars, and things like that. And you see the niche communities that these people are from. There's like doula TikTok. There's tattoo TikTok, like tattoo artist TikTok. There's therapy TikTok, like therapist TikTok. There's dentist TikTok. There's like all these people and they're using their platforms to educate people within this niche, but they have like millions of followers and millions of views because these communities are actually very robust Mm -hmm. and people keep going back to learn. And it's so rad. So while I part of like sustainability TikTok or eco eco talk, what we're known as, um, the niche communities are rad. So I guess that if someone was just getting started, that would be my, those would be my two tips. Like find out your why and be very clear about it. For me, it was like borderlining rock bottom. Like had quit my job and went to Argentina and COVID hit. I like was 28 years old and moved in with my mom. It was like, what the hell am I going to do? But have a background in video production and a passion for sustainability. So started making videos. And granted, I like check my, luck and privilege all the time that I got in on TikTok when I did, when it was very easy to build a very large community. Um, so yeah, so finding your why. And now I'm like, okay, I create original content, a storyteller. I'm educating people about the climate crisis and about sustainable living. And I also create advertisements for sustainable brands that share my values. Mm-hmm. Got it. And my niches are people within sustainability, people who are like coastal. I feel like a lot of like coastal surfing, outdoor folks, uh, predominantly women, women identifying folks. And yeah, the plant-based puppy mama, like (laughs) maybe married people. (laughs) Well, and that um, leads me to my next question, which like I was obsessed with the mini series, this is what I'll call it, about following your journey with converting your dad to plant-based. And this, I, the world cannot make enough food-based documentaries for me to be satisfied. So I was like, oh, I've watched them all already everywhere else. This is a new one I get to watch. And even though I know what the answer is going to be, I still want to watch it. Um, How cool is it to go through that experience? And how proud of you, how proud are you of his like results and like what shift that was? Yeah, it's nuts. So for your listeners, my dad participated in Veganuary. Granted, we were a little late. We started January 15th and February 15th, which is a month-long commitment of eating plant-based. And my dad has 
a long history of poor health. Like since I was a kid, he's all, he's also smoked cigarettes for as long as I can remember since he was 18 and now he's 67. So wow. nearly 50 years. Um, so he's had heart attacks and a stent and jaw cancer and, and just poor health. But in addition to smoking, he's just eaten a very meat, animal, protein, heavy diet. And so my sisters and I have all been plant-based for like 10 plus years, my husband and I as well. And so I knew this was a month that the world, a chunk of the world was going to participate in eating plant-based. I'm like, dad can do it. He turned 67 in January. It all felt timely. So he did it. Um, And I think, I think what's beautiful too about getting to be a content creator is creating original content that means something to you, you know, and TikTok actually creates a space for you to serialize your content, you know, which is rad that you even call it a series. I'm like, well, yeah, you're essentially creating a very, very short form series. Um, my dad is like an absolute clown, like just loves the camera. And he's just such a ham bone and is like making jokes <laughs> and his little accent comes out. And it's just wonderful um, and natural. So it was a lot of fun to make. It was, it's, amazing that I get to create original content in addition to like paid sponsored content um, and serialize it and put a lot of thought and intention. I mean, some of those videos, we had like four hours of footage where my dad and I were cooking or grocery shopping or speaking or, or yeah, I guess doing like many interviews is what they were. Um, and how do you take it down to 30 seconds? So a lot of, a lot of editing. But then he went to the doctor and had his blood pressure. He was tracking his blood pressure for a month. And then he had his blood pressure taken with the doctor and he had his blood test taken or blood test done. And they reduced his blood pressure medicine down 50%. And I think we get his cholesterol results back this week. So TBD on those. But I'm so unbelievably proud of him. And even when I look back at the footage of like when we first started versus now, I'm like, He's glowing. He's smiling. He like, he got a TikTok just so he could read people's comments. Cause he like oh. is fueling <laughs> off of the encouragement, the acknowledgement. And I'm like, wow, even if this, even if it like, wasn't recorded, mm-hmm. that's why I kept thinking, I'm like, it's a win-win for me. Like it's, yeah. it's actually championing my dad and like getting to support my dad and encourage him to take control of his life. And like, get off of this medicine or change the lifestyle that's caused him to be prescribed this medicine. Um, and also create content that like inspires people to do it with their parents or their family members yeah. or, or to reflect on their own eating habits. And I kind of call out to the unjust elements of the food system where, why are we feeding people food that makes them sick? You know, it, it it's, um, it's so silly how much money and resources we waste. And like, just giving people bad food means we're going to spend more money somewhere else and looking at where we just move food around the planet. Like I forget there's a term for it. And you probably know it closer to the top of your head than I do of when we literally exchange the same products from one country to another. Yeah. And it's like, why did we just send like, there's a, a famous one of like water bottled water that went from the UK to Australia and Australia to the UK. It was literally equal tons of bottled water went to both places, and i'm like why did why we, yeah why did we do that yeah. like and like <laughs> that seems yeah. so so silly and so much of what drives me is is optimizing like really 
being intentional with their time because I'd rather have fun than work. And I think most people would. And when I think about that, I'm like, why did we make more work for ourselves? Like, right. Before we even get to the environmental impact, it's like, who thought that was like the best way to move forward with something? Right. And I think we just panic sometimes that we can only have more, like grow a business and expand things by going bigger versus going better. And I really want people to start thinking about how can I just do it better? Yeah. Because it's, you can double your business without going bigger. Yeah. So anyway, I went on a tangent, forgive me. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. And I think too, going better because a lot of regulations, or what should I say? A lot of certifications exist if you do it, if you do it good, like, right. (laughs) If you're doing a good job. Um, like USD or USDA organic, right? You have to get these certifications. But I'm learning now that sometimes it's not just about doing it good or like sometimes businesses do it not for the pure intent of doing it good, but doing it less bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, like it's not just about like paying your paying your workers minimum wage. Yeah. It's about a living wage. Like can they yeah. actually, can they survive off of this? You know, mm-hmm. can they take a vacation? Like, yeah. shouldn't everyone have access or enough resources to take a vacation? Are they given time off to take time off? Like, I don't know. You And you can build all of it in and still be profitable. Like, it's a lie yes. that you can't do purposeful, aligned things yes. and make money. It is a yes. total lie. And it's a lie coming from people who don't yes. share. <laughs> Well, that goes back to what you're saying about Germany too. Like we have friends who live in the UK and if you look at what their base salary is, you get that literally doesn't like our rent, our rent costs more in granted LA is extremely expensive, but when you're like our rent costs more and their salaries in a year, I'm like, but they don't have student loans. Mm-mm. They don't have healthcare bills. They yeah. get like X amount of time off for maternity leave. They get X amount of vacation days a year. Like they're always skiing in France or like, you know what I mean? I'm like, wait, so this, this base salary is actually like a nice cushion salary where you're, but there, there isn't the, um, the like addiction to grind. You know what I mean? Because your things are just taken care. You're taken care of. Yeah. I, I lived in and worked in Germany for four years and I paid the highest taxes I've ever paid. And saved the most money I've ever saved. And I, it was so counterintuitive, but like things worked. Like everything, yeah. it felt like I went into like 1950s America where like everyone's just smiling and doing their thing and, you know, at the park and with their family and things were closed on Sundays. Yeah. Like it was, it felt so weird, but exactly what you said. It's like, people don't have those things to worry about. And when we, there's such a bad name put on, on socialism, but it really just comes back down to what do you want the average quality of life to be? And why shouldn't we have more equal quality of lives than not? Because giving someone maternity leave means everyone can have it. And if everyone gets four weeks vacation as a minimum, whether you're a CEO or, or you pick up garbage, like, what like why not why why don't yes. like it it fuels all the other systems that you just say matter because it's time with your family time to take care of people 
time to recharge. And yeah. ultimately, if people take vacation, they're not hiding in their house, not spending any money. So like, it doesn't even fit into the, oh, like there won't be a cycle happening. No, 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 you spend more when you're not working. Unless you're in a pandemic and you can't buy anything, but like, and you're taking, yeah, it's, you're taking care of, it kind of makes you question like, wait, doesn't the government exist to like take care of people? But like the U S is like, what is it? The most addicted, the most uneducated, the most obese, the most medicated group of people in the world or like in 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 Western culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, there's such an opportunity to reset because, and this is again, like with all the, the, polarization that's been happening lately when when two humans in america sit down and talk to each other the first 10 things they'll say that matter to them are the same yes and like you know one of my triggers is when politicians will push like oh we stand for family values and it's like do you because to me family values is can i spend time with my family can i feed my family do i have daycare do i have elderly care right, <laughs> like, right. none of those things are in your list <laughs> like none right. of them so like right. whose family are you taking care of because i don't i don't know how you can use that term right and so i i just i'm hoping that people hear podcasts like this and follow people like you and they're like okay hold on we can change this we can unlearn this we can really focus on what matters and just breaking the historical logic we have that um, that we're doing it the right way. Like yes, we're, yes, we're, we're not <laughs> right because if it was working, it would have solved it by now. Exactly, that's mm-hmm. what I keep reminding myself. If this was working, yeah, I did the math the other day on Amazon's like climate fund. The like $10 million for climate change. I was like, Jeff Bezos made $126 billion last year. And how many, how many days of 10, how many days could he donate 10 million to equate to one year of his salary? And it's like 40 years. Mm-hmm. He could donate that much money every day for 40 years. And that would be his 2021 salary. Yeah. Not sorry, sorry, salary earnings, right? Because mm-hmm. he only takes an $80,000 salary. I'm like, right. you're still making $126 billion. Um, so yeah, like how how can that exist? Like in what ethic ethical realm of consciousness like does that exist? Although yeah. I'm learning now, like consciousness isn't necessarily, like who defines ethics. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm like finally getting now. Is that's where we disagree? Is like what is ethical? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I don't even know if we really do when we start digging deeper, because when we get down to like the basics of humanity, most people agree. Like if you took most people, if you took them to a factory animal farm would be like, ew, most people. And then something happens between going one mile away from that place and then having a discussion like, wait, wait, we were just there. Like what's, what's missing in this space. And so that's what I keep looking for because are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Okay. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, it's like you have to have foundational things before you can have a next level conversation. And so I keep looking at like what's missing for people to understand that, like to have this conversation. Like what level of security are they missing where they can't think about the health and safety of animals right now? Yeah. 
Because it's it's really it's like okay, what's missing from your life, or that isn't like a oh shit, I have to go change things right now. Yeah, I think I think it goes back to us being like so insulated by these systems that make sure that we never have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And not to like point the finger all at capitalism, but it kind of is. You're like okay, what's at stake is shareholders' profits. Because if people knew, then we would stop doing this, and then these people would lose their money, right? That these businesses would be regulated or it would cost them more money. So they would make less money. That's what's at stake here. You're like, that's what's at stake. Like that millionaires make like a few less million dollars. Like that's what's yes. at stake. Like, wait, what? So, but of course you're so insulated. It goes back to that PSA. It's like, oh yeah, like you should probably start a compost pile. You should probably start recycling. Like, of course these big polluters, or in this case, like these big, unethical giants of the animal ag industry, you're like, oh no, but they want to make sure that you never know what goes on in there. And that, and now we're so like, we're so, you you can escape, you can escape a discomfort so quickly. Like you have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody like, I don't like that anymore. So I'm just going to the next thing. Or like maybe that clip, you see the hidden, hidden camera footage inside a hog farm. You see it and you're like, I don't like that. And you swipe and then you're on to the next thing. Funny dog video or something, Mm -hmm. right? Which we all need a few of every day. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course. And like climate doom and doomism doesn't do anything. Mm -mm. But also like we're, we are so insulated by these systems that actually favor the polluters or the, the ones causing the most damage because it's uncom- It's like, no, 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 you don't have to think about it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Even even with animal ag, especially, a friend of mine told me this, we actually don't call them by the mammals. We, we don't say cow, we say beef. We don't say pig, we say pork. Mm-hmm. A chicken, I think with birds, it's a little different. But you don't call the mammal, what, you, don't, you don't say baby cow, you say veal. Yeah. Right? But if you actually called it what it was, like maybe that would be a behavioral nudge for folks to not eat it. But that yeah. would cost, that would cost animal, the meat packers, a lot of money. They would lose a lot of money if people stopped eating meat, you know? They really would. And and you spoke on like where the money goes, right? Because the, there's a fiduciary requirement for corporations to uphold what their investors are getting. Like it's, it's part of the law of being a, a true corporation if you have shareholders. But there's also opportunities to invest your money in local-based um programs, which actually have a higher rate of return. Of course. So there's, you can keep everything you want to do. There is a solution that's actually better that yes. isn't so painful to switch to. So even your bank, right? You mentioned it earlier. I'm like, please get curious about what bank you have, because that can be a whole rabbit hole of like, oh my Jesus, if you need to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we could talk for hours and hours. I think I know I'm filled. I'm filled with inspiration, excitement. Well, I want to, you know, this powerful ladies community is a big, powerful community. And so I would love to ask you as we're wrapping up, what do you need? What are you seeking? Because maybe somebody listening has it and can can help you. That's good. What do I need? Um, I think I need, I, I would love, need ideas, inspiration, community behind making civil engagement sexy. You know, like right. I think it's sexy because I do it and, I, and it feels seamless, but I'm like, how do we make, this is my, te- this is my um, challenge for 2022. How do we make 
calling Congress as sexy as the reusable tote. Mm-hmm. So if anyone has any ideas, like old school comathons or scripts or like music videos or like how do we do it in a non chuggy 2022 way to just make people there, like we have, our elected officials need to hold businesses accountable. Like that is the solution to the climate crisis. Even in the IPCC report, like what's missing is fossil fuels are causing climate change. How do we regulate and eliminate fossil fuel? Mm-hmm. It's there. I know. Um, so everyone who is now obsessed with you and wants to follow you, support you, help you, where can they find you, contact you, all the things? I go by Ree Lauren, R-E-L-A-U-R-E-N, on all the things. Mostly TikTok, like you mentioned. I have a lot of fun on TikTok. Instagram, a little bit. And maybe YouTube this year. We shall see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a yes to what matters to you, a yes to me in this podcast, and for sharing your story with everyone listening. Thank you so much. Thank you for holding space. Thank you for having me on. I'm so, so, so grateful. All the links to connect with Lauren are in her show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. They are so critical for podcast visibility and helping us connect to more people who would love to hear this episode. Come hang out with us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit caraduffy.com or Kara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and an amazing new guest. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.